Welcome to the Story Forward podcast, season two playlist stories from the world of music. We are your hosts. I am Larry Rosen. I am Christian Wynn. Hello, Mr. Rosen. Good to see you again after our long break, Mr. Wynn. This season, we're going to do a little bit of a pivot. Last season, we talked about summer stories, stories that, that grew from a season. This season, we're going into something a little more concrete. Stories from the world of music. Tell the listeners, what exactly do we mean by that? Oh, well, we have, we're calling it Playlist, Stories from the World of Music. And so we do have, as Larry mentioned in our trailer, if you haven't listened to that, um, it's, we're kind of skewing towards the rock and roll, but we do have we do have a couple of uh, wild cards in there with some Beyonce uh, narratives from an educator out of New York who brings Beyonce into the university classroom. We also have my cousin Bart, who is in the world of music as, oh, I mean, not, we've talked it's not a cover band but it, it's like a very it's an entertainment well, industry band yeah I yeah i think well, well when we talk to bart which will be a few weeks down the line one of the things we'll want to determine is the difference between a tribute band and a cover band i think he's a cover band and that he plays covers from all different bands whereas a tribute band is like uh that one time we went to a party in boise and there was a band playing only b 52 songs that was a tribute band that was a tribute for sure or yes, yes. But we have him, and we also have your man, David Barbie, who's coming up, uh, I think, episode two, who's a producer of music and a musician himself, kind of um, Athens, Georgia legend. Uh, we have also uh, rock and roll renaissance man, John Roderick. Seattle legend. Seattle legend, uh, yes. Uh, we have people who founded the Boise Rock School. We have... Super fans. We have... Super fans. <laughs> we have radio, radio. We have some community radio stalwarts for sure. What do we have today? We have the Smoky Brights. So today we're going to lead off with something that it's always been, it's just, this is actually a, a favorite little pet uh, subject of mine, and that's rock and roll romance. You know, I'm a boy, you're a boy. We were once young, boring, romantic poet types. And for me, there seemed nothing more romantic than being the boy in the band. You know, I remember once seeing a band when I was in college and the guitar player, they were up on stage and the guitar player was up there and there was a there was a semicircle of about six girls just looking up at him gawking. And I thought that's the coolest thing in the world. I'd love to be that guy. Later, as you get older, you realize, well, what if you're the guy in the band and your significant other is also in the band? How does that work? Does it turn into a rock and roll romance? You know, we sort of, we almost cheated by choosing a couple that is seemingly without conflict. We chose, of all the bands I've spoken to, and I've spoken to plenty, these are the nicest people in a band I think I've ever met. They're the very sweet Kim West and Ryan Devlin, who are married and formed the band kind of in the run-up to their marriage. We already mentioned they're the Smoky Brights. They are the Smoky Brights. They are the Smoky Brights, and we're going to get their whole story about how they simultaneously built a marriage and a band, and some of the challenges they face in convincing people that Smoky Brights isn't just them front men and women, the front people Mm -hmm. of the band. It's a really great conversation and it really touches on a lot of things that you may not think of if you're uh, in a band, married, but not married in a band to the person you're married to. Yeah, and we also do have a really cool kind of correspondent duo, also a married couple who told stories at our Backstage Pass event at Storyfort in uh, September of 2021. Um, Erica Deschner Cornwall and Cody Cornwall both um, met each other in the industry at a place called the Big Easy, which is now the Knitting Factory in Boise, Idaho. Um, 
he was working in the kitchen. She was working kind of as a handler, as a young woman. Yeah, um, yeah. And that like Henry Rollins and Cody was freaking out. And so you're going to get a really interesting, they don't play music together, but they've made a life together that started on the premise of, I think Henry Rollins kind of brought them yeah. together. So. Who, how, who among us can say that Anthony Rollins brought us together? And if you didn't have a chance to see uh, that particular event at Storyport this year, we will be returning with another one at Storyport in March. More information to come. So, Mr. Wynn, before we head into the interview, I've got to ask you, I know you are a single man. You remain a single man. Unmarried, yes, and single at the time, yeah, at the, at the moment. I've... Have you ever had the combo romance professional collaboration? You know, I tried a couple times. Well, I'm a, you know, as a writer, um, went to grad school with other writers and had a relationship with a fellow grad student. She was a great writer and is remains to be a great writer. We did try a couple of uh, collaborations. I, I feel like almost like home projects with uh, <laughs> girlfriends I've lived with uh, a couple times and those were but <laughs> those were not like terribly problematic but it, it's I've never really taken on a monster creative endeavor I've taken on a couple with friends but never quite in a with a romantic partner and you are married I am married been. I chose, <laughs> chose the other route and um you know my wife is a civilian one when, of you, the, wait, when you say civilian what does this mean she does not make her living in the creative arts she is a scientist. One of the things that, you know, we didn't touch on when we talked to the Smoky Brights, but that I've always been thankful for, because usually when I see couples that are in the same industry, most of the ones I see aren't in the arts, they're mostly scientists like this, but I know some people who are both writers. There can be competitiveness and jealousy if one gets more successful than the other. I mean, that's sort of, that's, that's sort of the way it seems to work among famous people, celebrities. Yeah. You know? That's true. I mean, can you think of a good music couple that that's happened to? I mean, I, I mean we have other some than, disasters. <laughs> other than the music star, musical The Star is Born, um, how about Gwen yes. Stefani and uh, Gavin Rossdale? Okay, what happened there? She's like with the, the country guy now. What's She's with name? the country guy, but Blake? more than no, Blake Shell, more than that though, I mean, he was in a hot band, she was in a hot band, and after a while he sort of became Mr. Stefani. <laughs> Nobody. Oh, yes. You know, and he might have, I think oh. the story is he might have strayed a little bit as a result of that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a, a ton of them out there. Um, I, where we sure. talked about uh, some Fleetwood Mac action that uh, ah. maybe more cocaine fueled, but Paul and Linda McCartney was kind of one they held up as a, a pretty, I don't That's know, one of the model, I guess. There's it was a model because we asked them who was a model. I hold up uh, Ira Kaplan and Georgia Hubley from oh. you know, Tango, been together for 30 plus years. Yeah. But generally, remember when we started doing prep for this, I, we both looked up rock and roll couples and they were all crash and burn. Yep. <laughs> and we didn't want to bring that up with uh, oh. Kim and Ryan, but we did kind of skirt around it. But they're, you know, well, you'll you'll hear. They're just they're, hear. they're very sweet. Only if you could see them kind of stare into each other's eyes yeah. on Zoom. It's <laughs> just like that's, it's that's, pretty adorable. So, but that said, they're also amazing musicians, and they're you know super fun to see. And I think Kim called herself a show pony, and she puts on a show at the keyboard, and is he sweats a lot and puts on a show. A <laughs> they both put on. They really do put on a great show oh my gosh yeah it's screwed on right and they're delightful so why don't we just uh instead of having to listen to us old timers why don't we go right to them let's go to the smoky brights and then we'll get to our correspondents cody and erica 
after that. So enjoy the story is moving forward. Welcome to the uh, Story Forward podcast, Ryan, Devlin, and Kim West of the Smoky Brights and their cat, whose name is? Tiny. This is, this is Tiny. 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 He has to be in every interview. He's just okay. yeah. So Tiny will be joining us today. And, and we want to talk, you know, we're, we're talking this season about stories from the world of music. And uh, you are unique. You, you are a rock and roll couple, which is something you can Google. Best, you know, famous <laughs> rock and roll couples. Yes. Um, so we want to trace that journey a little bit. And we want to get a sense of what that world is like. And, um, you know, maybe some of the challenges, not the Fleetwood Mac-esque challenges, but some of the everyday challenges. Sure. But to start with, you know, I know on your, um, on your website, it's a story of love and pizza. And you met working <laughs> yes. together uh, over pizza. And I guess my first question is, so how long does it take when you start falling for a coworker before it comes out that you want to be in a band together? <laughs> <laughs> well, the inevitable, you know, path for every love story that starts with pizza and ends with rock and roll. <laughs> I mean, for us, we were, we were just friends when we met at the pizza restaurant. Um, we were both dating other people and yeah, just, we we're both in, yeah. in our, in undergrad, Kim would only work summers at this pizza restaurant in South mm -hmm. Seattle. Uh, yeah. uh, I worked there full year and I, I think we, we, we were both dating other people, but we were buddies in both rather fascinated by each other, I would say, like, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Kim's smart and cool and always the life of the party, but also like, also that's, that's our sign. There's, there's our cat. That's okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, and like we were, we were just buddies, but it wasn't until we had both stopped working at the pizza restaurant and we went out to a bar, uh, yeah. with a mutual friend and, uh, just ran into each other. And it was like a really quick conversation of like, hey, like, so what are you up to these days? Are you still dating that guy? No. <laughs> yeah, I'm single now too. And then, I mean, it was like, I went home that night and I was like, holy shit, Kim West is single. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we just went on a few dates after that. And, you know, the, the music thing was not even part of the purview at all. Like no. we, we, in fact, we didn't even play a note together probably for the first, but year and a half of dating something like but that. at the time when you're in the bearing your soul stage um it never came out either of you like yeah i, I kind of want to be a rock star well ryan was already in a band in okay. bands. um he was a performing musician uh, my musicianship had was a little more um introverted at that point uh i grew up playing music i grew up playing keys and singing in choir and taking vocal lessons and all that but i never performances were usually relegated to like you know recitals <laughs> or or just big band concerts or those sorts of things so I had never been in a formal band before like a rock and roll band well when did that come up in this uh, relationship then right was there a period when you were thinking I'm going to be someone who's dating a musician oh yeah that was the first I mean I knew that going in um in fact, our first year of us dating was a little rocky um, because Rye was on tour for like six out of the first nine months we were together, which is a hard, hard thing to do at the beginning of a relationship. It's extra hard because yeah. he's on tour. And in fact, the, the song, I Love You But Damn, yeah. which is on our record, I Love You But Damn, uh, 
uh, it's song. like pretty yes. super autobiographical, and it and it is about uh, you know those first that first year of dating and just being really distant, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a bumpy way to start. Nice, uh, yeah. And then we didn't, you know, we didn't really think about playing music together until the first Christmas where we were like officially a couple. We were also both like officially poor because so we, and we have a lot of uh, family to buy gifts for. So we were sort of racking our brains of like what to do. And Ryan had always put together these just little EPs of covers around Christmas time. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, you sing, why don't you sing on a couple of these? And then I just- yeah. yeah, we did like, just had a little bit bedroom recording set up and mm -hmm. made a Christmas compilation of holiday feeling songs that weren't necessarily holiday songs. We did, uh, we did Joni Mitchell's River, uh, which starts with the Jingle Bells thing. And it's just a beautiful <laughs> song. Dun, dun, dun. And then we did uh, St. Augustine by Bob Dylan, uh, which is just a beautiful semi-religious song. It sounds nice. Uh, we're not religious. Uh, and then also we did uh, my favorite Christmas song, Built to Spill, Built to Spill Twin Falls, Idaho, uh, as, a, as a duet. And that was the first moment we ever like sang together as two people. Was so also an interesting moment from my point of view, because you had to decide on what songs to play. Did you <laughs> that's true yeah I, we wondered about that before we came on the air like did you know the playlist at home or that choice of those songs or what was on at the pizza joint you know did you guys like argue well, about that well, or, was, on the pizza was usually like it was usually that's amore 1000 times a day <laughs> that's kind of pizza uh, when the moon hits your eyes like da -da, da -da, da -da, and, like, or it, it was stopped. like terrible uh terrible italian covers of songs that you never wanted covered really by anyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah that really that Re retail and restaurants are hard places for music Ooh, uh, yeah but yeah. The, the song selection was like i think like bob dylan was neutral ground or like yeah it's a good one and then you chose the joni mitchell one and then i chose the um built to spill, spill one and that's what we went with did you and as you got to know each other better did you teach each other about different music oh did we yeah, yeah. like on yeah. on those many tours uh that i went on when we first started dating before every tour kim would give me kim found out just how little i knew about 90s r&b and hip-hop <laughs> in general so she made a huge like compendium of burnt cds called Rai rise rap reaming uh, <laughs> and before every tour i would get like a 30 track you know mix cd of kind of like the essentials of of hip hop and R and B, yeah. And and conversely, like you taught me about a lot of a lot of bands that I hadn't really listened to growing up, and I yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, you were getting dragged to punk shows and mm -hmm. listening to a lot but, more like louder guitar music. Was it love for each other or general love of music that left you open to that? Because if someone gave me a CD of '90s hip hop and R and B, probably wouldn't go that well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think we both recognized pretty early on that we're uh, pretty open uh, yeah. in terms of what music is in our lives. And uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Gracious so would... consumer of all music. And if someone's passionate about it, I can suspend my disbelief long enough to try and find my own passion in it. Yeah. No, I would be the opposite of Mr. Larry Rosen on this one. But if you gave me like world beat or something, that would be a different thing. I'd be like, mm. maybe a different sensibility, but 
I'm curious, uh, like, did the hip hop have an influence on you kind of going into an R&B direction or kind of, you know, like, so, like kind of the music you make now has obviously sort of the, a little, I mean, I, I guess what has been called like, yeah. AM, you know, radio gold and just sort of a sense of like a little bit of throwback into the seventies um, and some R&B influences, but I don't know about yeah. the hip hop per se, but perhaps. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of hip hop uh, in, I mean, I guess the influence in hip hop would just be the importance of a beat. Mm -hmm. and recognizing that yes. as a driver of the music and, and the storytelling. Um, and then melodically, yeah, some of our melodies do tend to skew a little more R&B and that's definitely like, that was what I grew up on. Yeah. I just really loved growing up, so. I think this, the sensibility of like, it, that, that's a, I don't want to segue, but like we also, uh, prior to the world shutting down, we, we DJ a lot. Like we had a monthly DJ mm -hmm. night so at the W downtown Seattle. And like we do a lot of bar DJ gigs and weddings and stuff like that. And like listening to a lot of like uh, beat based music uh, and being in the vantage point of playing that for people and seeing people react. I think, yeah, the, the beat and the flow of our music became really really important even if it you know it's not hip-hop it's not r&b but some of those sensibilities we kind of absorbed them let's go back to christmas when you were making your eps yes did something click at that point or was it later i, yeah, think, immediately. I think immediately yeah, yeah. vocally it especially like it was like oh our voices actually like sound pretty okay together you know because not every not every set of voices works right. like yeah. i always think back on that the Bob Dylan, Johnny Cash duet that they did. Yeah, the whole duets record, which we'll get some hate mail about this, but like. <laughs> it just sounds like two people recorded vocals as far away from each other as they possibly could. And then some poor producer was like, uh, I guess I'm just gonna have to figure out how to put these together. You know, it's like. Some some voices naturally right. blend and some, some don't. Well, and, and how does it advance the love story when you look at each other and realize your voices go together? You know, it certainly didn't hurt. It certainly didn't hurt. <laughs> uh, and we, we are uh, an atypical couple in that just almost every part of our lives overlap, you know. Uh, we'll wake up in the morning and go on a run together. And, you know, we both work from home right now, which is nice. So we yeah. eat three meals a day together and then write music and go travel and play music together, which does not work for every couple and I uh, no in fact later in the interview I was going to ask you if you needed to have a green line between work life and personal life but it doesn't sound like you do so far no not no, really no. uh yeah it just kind of became part of the entire merging of our lives together yeah. and honestly yeah. we started dating at a young enough age that uh I think we were both adaptable and malleable enough that mm -hmm. those overlaps uh, yeah, you know, your life is already changing when you're in your mid-20s and you're kind of deciding who you're going to be. Um, yeah, absolutely. a lot of our um, routines sort of developed together, so it's like, at this point, pretty epic. You got, you got to grow up cool. together, basically. Yeah, and yeah. then I guess from that yeah. Christmas, you know, sort of harmonizing moment with the songs and um, how did, well, first of all, how did your family and friends enjoy your music, your DIY sort of Christmas gift? I bet that was pretty sweet. The, it, it, it was always a hit, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a hit, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll still get friends and family reaching out with pictures of the burnt CD being like, so that's awesome. And then from there, like, I'm just, like how soon after, or kind of what was the evolution from there to make, you know, Smoky Brights or your next first music project together? 
I think that was like yeah. around the exact same time we were doing, yeah. or maybe it was the following year we started. The following year. The following yes. year we started doing demos for uh, yeah. as of yet unnamed project. Uh, mm -hmm. That, like Kim said, like I played in. I played in punk bands, like just loud, heavier, uh, garagier bands, uh, which I still love that music and that influence works its way into Smokies in some ways. But I was really aware that like, I had a new batch of songs that weren't gonna work for those bands. Um, so we started demoing with a few friends from the same pizza shop. Uh, Jim, who served tables uh, and bartended at the pizza shop, played bass, and his buddy Nick, who he got a, he got a job for Nick, uh they uh nick played drums nick plays still plays drums with us uh so we just started demoing with some buddies from the pizza restaurant uh and, and did you did you leave the other band that you were in did you no. have to break up with your band to start a new band no uh i still had this band called hounds of the wild hunt at that time uh i also played bass for a short time in this band called virgin islands at one point i had three projects going mm -hmm. um but Smokies was, you know, it was like our, it was, became our baby and our co-writing our co project. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you know, yeah, Jim and Nick still had their band, which was called Armed With Legs. That was great. It's like loop-based loop math rock, uh, cool stuff, uh, drum and bass. Uh, yeah, we all had other interests and passions and we just, we were just kind of demoing because they're, they're just fun songs, you know, mm -hmm. really like not trying to make it our, thing but at some point it becomes your thing lo and behold yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and Skyler Locatelli comes along or guy and our you know how did that freak out connection was that with kind of the turning point like when they offered you like a record deal or like come make a record with us or was it before that you guys had your own thing going and then freak out came along I think that definitely helped you yeah because we we put out our first record in 2014 um mm -hmm. and that was you know, 100% DIY. Self-recorded. Self-recorded, you know, self-released, all of it. And then it was right around 2016, which was when we were putting together um, Hot Candy. And we'd known Guy for, I mean, you'd known Guy for years. Yeah, right? like like I have a background in garage rock and punk rock. So does Guy, right? Yeah. And like, we, we were in fact, we were playing a DIY festival uh, with our respective, uh, punk bands at that time. And I was like, I was like, Hey man, I've got a new project. And he's like, Oh, well, I'm thinking about starting a record label, send it to me. And it just very naturally happened from that. Yeah. And was that at the point? So how, was that at the point where you decided Smokey Brights was going to be your primary, uh, band? You know, I think around 2016, it was actually, interestingly enough, it was after putting, for me personally, yeah, it yeah. was after putting out our second record, which is frankly a time when most bands break up. Because mm. uh, it's like, you know, you'll put out your first record and it's like new and exciting and, you know, people are like getting a sense of who you are. And then you get kind of a sense of these sort of expectations or hopes for the next record. And, and then if it doesn't pan out, then a lot of people just break up, you know? And, <laughs> <laughs> but for for me it was you know sort of this moment of like well this does feel like something I really want to do and I'm really enjoying it and it's really bringing me a lot of satisfaction 
uh, and adventure. And we, you know, it was around that time that I think we decided that this was going to be a project that we were going to pursue, like actually as a thing, you know, yeah, tour a lot and make yeah. it the primary primary vehicle. Yeah, it took, it took a couple of years to get there, but. What was your relationship status at the time? And before you chose to leap into a full-time band together, did you have any trepidations about like, what's this going to do to us as a couple? Sure. I mean, yeah, the, that's, that's always a concern. Um, mm -hmm. And I think our general rule of thumb is like, you know, the, the, the marriage, like us as a unit, our happiness, uh, if, for whatever reason, the band started massively detracting from that, uh, then we would probably put the band aside and, and focus mm -hmm. on yeah. us. Yeah, but up, straight. up to this point, it's really had the opposite effect. It's had the effect okay. of having a, um, a, a focus we get to share, uh, a project we get to work on together, the prospect of travel that we get to share together. Um, and you know, we are two people that uh, we communicate a lot and we, we, we think a lot about the world around us and uh, we just have a lot of conversations. So it's, it's also like a convener for some of the ideas and conversations and feelings mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like about the world. Now, but traveling with a band in a, in a van or however you guys are doing it can also put a lot of strain on relationships, just that act alone. Sure. And, you, and you're also introducing two other people into the equation. Um, yeah. How do you manage that? Do you ever have to have conversations about that? Like what happens in the van stays in the van or, you know, <laughs> you, you know what I'm getting at. I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're navigating two things, right? You're navigating a relationship oh, sure. between you guys and you're yeah. navigating a relationship with two other people in very close quarters. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, generally just as a rule of thumb, I've found traveling, touring, it's like, it's like you're all dating each other in, in the mm -hmm. fact that you need to be so aware and empathetic to everyone else's needs, their schedules, their, you know, their habits, their, their habits, anxieties. Their anxieties. Because you probably see each other at your worst. Yes. Oh, yeah. God damn it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, Tony. <laughs> no worries. I'm okay, a cat. Tony. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> talk with the cat he's yeah he's very vocal we love him but jesus christ he's like a lot <laughs> yeah but it also has to be I, to, I would think being a road trip guy i'm not never been in a band but then a lot of road tripping with significant others um that's become like a bonding thing and a, and like a, an amazing thing even though it can be a little bit rough i didn't ever have two extra like Larry never came along with me and my significant others <laughs> but um yeah i would i can like seeing new cities and new experiences and all that and taking in festivals together would have to be, I would think, just a, just my own take would be like 80% plus on the good side. And the, the downside would be like pretty minimal, but um, sounds like, I don't know, what's your take on that? Is, it, is the traveling sort of, as you come out of that and you're like, that was amazing. Let's do that again as soon as we can or next month or whatever. Yeah. Typically, yeah. yeah. I mean, we we found early on that we love to travel together. Um, music is, you know, 45 minutes of playing music and the rest of it's traveling. So uh, we <laughs> learned early on that, yeah, that, that's gonna work. And yeah, 
And Smokies travel really well together, all four of us. <clears throat> I think something that we do too is like, you know, there'll be oft there'll be times when one we'll show up to a new town and someone's like, I need to go on a walk. Like I need, That's good. you know, I've been around you assholes for three weeks. I need a couple <laughs> hours by myself. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, duh, great. And it's, you know, there's this just understanding that that's very human and it's not like something to be concerned about. You know, it's like, it's just, we all need space from time to time. And, you know, we'll do, we'll take space from each other. Like it's, oh, it's yeah. just important to just, yeah. Like I was saying, like, just be really sensitive to each other's needs, especially on the road. Cause you never are feeling like, you know, your shower schedule's weird. Your food schedule's weird. You, who knows where you slept last night? Who knows you're sleeping this night? Like, you know. Right. You said it was like dating, but dating, you're always on your best behavior. <laughs> it's like later in a Ideally, relationship. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It's like yeah. You're, you're very comfortable. You know, it's like mm -hmm. now here comes the real. It's like it's like being married. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it or not, like being we're going we're going to this event together. Yeah. <laughs> and Ryan, you you know you toured. Shoot, I wanted to ask another question, but I'm gonna ask this one anyway. You you know you you've toured. I'm I'm assuming in bands where it was just guys. Yes. How does having a woman who is also your wife, uh, does it take the edge off? Um. Well, I guess there's a couple <laughs> answers to that. When you post pictures of you on tour, Kim, you definitely sort of project a den mother experience with your boys. <laughs> you know, the pictures of you guys out after a show, it's me and my boys. Yeah, it's more like, it feels more like siblings than, uh, you know. I'd say if any of us, Luke is the father. <laughs> At least his humor tracks with he's other fathers. So, and he's like uh, by far the most responsible of us. You know, it's like he'll be like, "Well, we need to get on the road by this time tomorrow because our drive is this long." And da da da. And I'm like, "God bless you, thank you." And then Luke is the guy who does not sweat in the 90 degree heat, right? Yeah, so that's like that's dad like, you know. <laughs> uh, but to 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 answer the question, like, uh, I would say from my personal experience, uh, I mean. The, the hardest part about uh, travel, and any touring musician is going to tell you this, is simply being away from the people that you love. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, whether whether you have a partner or not, or you just have friends in a community back home, um, that that part's really hard. Uh, so I just feel just deeply fortunate that that uh, part is kind of solved for in, in smoking drives. And then in terms of like traveling with. Uh, you know, uh, a female musician as opposed to just all dudes. Um, I, it, it's it's really not that different, other than uh, maybe cleanliness is slightly better out of general respect, but it's, it's really not that different. You know, everyone's just kind of there to do it, do the same thing, and yeah. play music and bullshit, and um, have the experience together. And Kim, as someone who was dating someone who for the first year was on tour without you. How was it the first time you got to go on tour and went, A, oh, this is how it goes, and B, sweet, I'm not left home alone? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you know, I didn't know if I was going to like touring, and I came into it with a really open mind of this might not be something that I enjoy, and I knew that if that was not something I enjoyed, that was not going to be, me being in Smokies was not going to work, because otherwise it was like, Okay, yeah, I want to be in the band, but you guys can just never go on tour. <laughs> I'm Brian Wilson. I'm just going to be bored. 
that's like not really how it works. So I, you know, I just went into it and I was like, you got to just be really honest with yourself about how you feel and how this experience is. And I loved it and I love it and I continue to love it. And it's my favorite thing that we get to do. You know, performing is like, everyone has their part of the music process that sort of calls to them the most. I love songwriting. I love recording. I love performing like that is I'm just a show pony you know it's like I just want to do that all day so to be able to do that all night it's like it's there oftentimes in this industry you can kind of feel like you're floating and like I don't know am I doing the right thing should we have done that oh geez but to when I'm on tour it's like I know I'm doing it right this is the directive doing it every night doing what we love every night getting in the van, driving to the next place, doing what we love that night, you know. <clears throat> how is it, um, how's it blending with your, your law career these days? I know we've talked in the past about that a bit. I mean, it seems like a really cool and very probably rare combo in the world of music to be, you know. Yes. I, so how you said you had a very cool boss and what our other partners that would, you know, are very much like go tour. We want to, you know, music to take care of that. But how's, how's that going these days? You know, it's uh, it's still working great. It's been interesting because we haven't toured um, <laughs> for the last uh, two years. <laughs> so we got to do some regional stuff this summer. Okay. Yeah. And then- and saw you, yes, in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> yeah, we went out to Boise, <laughs> yeah. Idaho a couple of times. Um, you know, but the, it's, it just, I've just been mostly in that world, you know, just working a more, I guess, standard work schedule now that I've been home for so long, but still with the same setup where, you know, when we hopefully get to tour next year, yeah. uh, I'll just take off. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really curious. So when we go on trips, generally my wife has a nine to five job and sometimes we'll go someplace for a week and she'll work during the day. And I'm trying to picture you with your laptop on tour doing some work. Is that possible? Yep, I do it all, all the right. time. Nice. Luke and I are usually on our laptops most of the time when we're driving, unless you know I'm driving. Um, obviously, I'm not on my laptop. <laughs> but <laughs> good to know. <laughs> good to know. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's um, you know, it gets a little tough when you get into different um, time zones, but you just are aware of that and communicative about that and you can take meetings with a law firm while you're in the in the van uh you know i don't usually take meetings in the van because it is loud yeah. we have a we have a you know chevy express passenger van it is a, a lot of road is, noise yeah she's yeah. a trusty steed very reliable and not a luxurious ride I'll say that. <laughs> so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift back to what we were talking about earlier. And, and I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how you guys, you know, you function more or less as a unit mm -hmm. and how that works with the band. And I know if I remember right from the last time we talked, Ryan, you spend your days handling the business affairs of Smokey Brights. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And when you guys play, I mean, and I'm glad you mentioned how much you love performing because you, the two of you are very electric performers together. Why, thank you. And it's very clear that you're together. And, you know, it's good that the, the people who aren't married are the rhythm section because they seem very comfortable taking more of a back seat. <laughs> but does it ever come up that people forget that there's more to Smokey Brights than you two? 
you know? Uh, I think that's, that's just a, I think that's the reality of a lot of bands, you know, it's like, we like not every band is the Beatles where every single member has a rabid fan base, but it's, I don't know for our rhythm section is crucial to our band. We wouldn't sound like Tonky Brights without Nick Grimtania no. playing drums and and they are both far better musicians than we are. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, just far and away better musicians. <laughs> I mean, in a, in a funny way, we like, in the early days of Smokies, we we really resisted taking the mantle of being front people. Um, it was mm -hmm. always kind of a collective all for one, one for all kind of vibe, uh, which uh, works in a creative sense, but gets, kind of diffuse in a storytelling sense, uh, especially when there's only two people uh, writing lyrics and pouring their hearts out. So, you know, inevitably the the identity or the, uh, the thoughts and ideas of a band kind of gravitate back towards the lead singer. And that's, that's just kind of how it always yeah, is. Um, that, but, you know, for the record on, uh, on this podcast, Smokey Bright's is a band, is a four-piece band. Sure. Uh, we, we are just, we just happen to be two lucky songwriters that uh, are lucky enough to be in love and co-write, uh, and also have found uh, two musicians that absolutely want to give to this project and, and show up and uh, record yeah. new tours. With that us. is cool. And yet, the, I mean, do you take your songs to those those guys as well sometimes, or do you keep it sort of like this is our, our song? I'm curious. Maybe it's kind of a semi-cliche question you've gotten before but your process of like just like as a, especially in the same household are you bringing ideas back and forth or are you like this is ryan's song this is kim's song i don't how does that work for like the yeah. composing of the lyrics and the it, it's it's honestly you know there, there are songs that get written and then we'll get to the end of it and the entire time i'll be like i'll, I'll sing this one and then we'll try it where kim sings it and it's like that sounds cooler you know, it, uh, truly by the end of the writing process, uh, you know, usually one of us comes up with the seed of an idea, but we live in the same house and we're working through the same stuff. And, you know, if, I, if Kim plays a progression in the next room, I'll pop in and be like, hey, that's cool. Yeah. What's that? I, or I'll play a progression and, and, and Kim will rush in and say, wait, 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 keep playing that. I've got a melody idea. And then, uh, you know, we get to the end of it with, you know, writing lines and stuff like that. And it becomes really difficult to uh, point to, you know, which which one of us individually is the songwriter at, yeah. at, the, at the end of a process like that. Yeah. And um, then we and then we bring those bones to the basement and the boys like we arrange it. And yeah. they, you know, they have their choices and their style really sort of, you know, morphs this idea into a song feels like yeah. yeah that's pretty sweet uh, yeah <clears throat> and just working as a larry that i kind of work as individual writers and i've never really collaborated with uh, many people a couple times but yeah that's that's very cool it sounds super symbiotic and like probably something that bonds you to as a just people in the world you know friends and and people who are and in love and living in the same household and all that so there's and definitely so like you know it, it's not like some formula we have too. Like, I think if you talk with most songwriters, they, they, they would tell you like, I, I don't know how it works. Like I, and mm -hmm. I don't, and, and yeah. still 
Except uh, for uh, Rivers Cuomo, who oh, has like a he has a spreadsheet. Like yeah, he's uh, like spreadsheets and stuff. Like but like like uh, Jeff Jeff Tweedy has this quote like um, this is not an exact quote, but he he likens uh, songs to. He says he wishes songs were like tables where you could show up to a workshop and just make a new song every day. But really, songs aren't tables, they're trees. They're just, they're just strange things that grow and every single one's different. But there's definitely a romantic notion of the rock and roll couple sitting in their living room, surrounded by tapestries and acoustic guitars, <laughs> yeah. writing a song together, back, you know, yeah. doing back and forth. Usually it's like, you know, when we're, when we're songwriting, it's like our cats are in the other room just like, Making, making noise. Making commentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we are rounding towards the okay. latter part of the interview, okay. Mr. Rosen. What do you, what do you want to swing a into? A couple more things. I'm, I'm curious. Um, the, the life you've chosen, but you know, Kim, you still keep one foot in a straight world. Your social circle is it out of necessity entirely composed of musicians and music industry people, people with the same schedules as you? It's a, a good question. That is a good question. And no, I mean, it like it's a lot of it is a significant portion is our community, our music community, and and people who kind of keep that same yeah workload and schedule. But like we we come from a, a bunch of different awesome communities, and uh, some of some of our friends that we knew playing in bands in our twenties now have straight jobs and three kids and uh some of you know some of our closest friends uh lead a completely non-traditional lifestyle like we do and you know it th doesn't wholly dictate who we spend time with uh at this point um but we are becoming aware of those choices that you make your roads get farther and farther apart uh and that is just kind of part of life in general um, yeah, I don't know. There's certainly like our friends with kids can't go to the show where we headline at 11 and right. we, and we can't make it over for a five 30 dinner. I'm so sorry. Cause like, <laughs> we have a busy life too. Uh, so that those things happen, but, um, well, that's a, that's a really good question, but no, it's, it's, it's still a, just a huge community of people around us. And, and your families, do they ever express concern, you know, that you've chosen, I guess what some would consider kind of a risky lifestyle, you know? I mean, yes, Kim still has a good day job, but you're traveling all around, you know, it's, it's, it's it could maybe be just simply because it's not a straight lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think any parent uh, wishes ease uh, and success. For their child and ease and success are hard things to come by when you are writing original music and performing it yeah, yeah. a lot a lot of people that that do that um so yeah those apprehensions i think are are, are shared among our, our families to some degree but there's also been uh i think we've burst through that membrane and there's a great sense of, of, of pride and joy and trust that like our, our, our folks have at this point and our families have. Um, yeah. And yeah. How, it, how many families have did songwriting couples? Yeah. And did it take, I mean, how long did it take? Cause I can relate to, you know, not as a musician, but as someone who's like more in the creative arts and a writer and trying to make it. My parents 
or had some trouble. As it also is a not never been married guy, I had pressure to. Are you, are you going to get married? <laughs> I also want to tell you something. What is my death? Probably. <laughs> I have something to tell you about. 1991 but no um but i'm curious yeah how long when was that curve when did that kind of that they get over the the hump so to speak to be like all right maybe when they saw your first show i don't know i mean i don't think there was ever really a hump i think it okay was, i think it was more just you know at, the funny thing like a funny thing about being a musician is it's one of the few jobs where almost i'd say three out of 10 times that I tell someone I'm a musician, they say, oh, cool. How do you make money doing that? Mm -hmm. You know, you like, never say that to <laughs> anybody. Oh, anybody so you're an accountant? How do you make money doing that? Like, it, and it, it's not, I'm, I don't like, I'm not. Uh, it's an honest question. It's an honest question. It's not, I'm not resentful when that question comes up because it's like, how the hell do you make money in this? And it's hard and you have to be creative and you have to be, flexible and you have to really love it but I think we're just both really lucky in that we have very loving supportive understanding families many of whom you know many of our family members haven't taken the straight and narrow path it's like that's helpful yeah that think, is helpful yeah and I think there's something cool in having a mix of both you know yeah that's so to wrap this up, just I, something I've been wondering, we were both wondering, you know, if you look at the landscape of rock and roll couples, it's, it's littered with some shrapnel for sure. <laughs> there, and you, and you, and before we got on, you mentioned Fleetwood Mac, like we're not Fleetwood Mac, but are there any, when you, maybe not at the beginning, but as you're going along, rock and roll couples that you look up to that you thought they're doing it the right way? I mean, Paul and Linda, for sure. Right. Um, I, I, like we just watch that Get Back Doc and every time I see them interacting, I'm like, you're about to live. Pretty sweet. Uh, it, yeah. like, it is the most amazing uh, two decades. Uh, yeah. Playing in Wings and traveling the world. How do you feel about Wings? Uh, <laughs> I kind of love them. Uh, that those are two people super in love, uh, getting to play music and just building a whole life and community around it. And yeah. I, I think yeah, that's a successful model. And I, I think it's also it's it's a little bit more pervasive of a uh, phenomenon than I think I even realized too. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, there's many couple bands like Arcade Fire. That's a couple band. That's that's another Lincoln hero couple. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think Jason Isbell, like his wife. Yeah, his wife is the violin yeah. yeah. I mean, even even Bruce Springsteen. Uh, what's what's his wife? Yeah. Yeah, Pat, uh, uh, another songwriter and co-performer with him. And you know, I realized I didn't know this, but the the two primaries of Yola Tango, Rick oh, and Jordan Hubbard, have been together for thirty years. Ah, see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For well, for but... all of the uh, attention stealing dramatic versions of being a couple in a band, uh, it is it is a shockingly common and successful way to be a performing arts person is to, you know, because it, no matter what you talk with anyone in, in, in a band or in theater and film, by the end of it, your crew is your family, you know, yeah. you, 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 yeah. you really, uh, you synthesized something together, you've gone through hard stuff together, and to be able to do it, uh, you know, as a couple that's in love, along with people that we consider our family, like, it, it just feels awesome. That's yeah, a, a good life. But yeah, clearly along the way, some people are not as uh, 
I don't know, well-balanced as the two of you are understanding or didn't, didn't work out, but it's so awesome to hear that. I would, I would agree that Paul and Linda um, was, it's a good example, but uh, yeah, I didn't know about the Yola Tango couple that until Larry brought yeah, it up before, cool. but under the radar, under the radar, um, but yeah, <laughs> last, well, Larry, should we get some bona fides or some that's like, a, yeah, that's a good you know, things that are going on in the, the Smoky Brights world. I know you're coming to Treeport in March. Yeah of 2021, yeah. 22, excuse me, what, what year is this? Um, yeah, so that's coming up, I know, but what else? I know I saw something in December in Seattle with Thunder Pussy, I think it was, and some other bands. Yes, I mean, fingers crossed with all the what have you and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. We will be ringing in the New Year's at Showbox Market with Thunder Pussy and Action S, which awesome, is going to be awesome. And we will, I don't know when this episode will come out, but we will announce a show at the tractor with our friend Shelby Earl in early 2021, 22. Wow, I'm doing the same thing because yeah. what happened to that year. <laughs> and we, uh, we've announced a couple dates, uh, but we will be in mainland Europe for May in really Germany, Austria. Yeah. Denmark, crossed. Uh, Netherlands, France, uh, fingers crossed. Um, yeah. And yeah, we, we just, we're just wrapping up a new record that'll come out in 2022 that's really awesome. excited about. Um, so we'll have some US dates to support that too. Um, but yeah. uh, if all things go well, that's what our year looks like. Some US uh, EU touring, a new record. And of course, a visit to the best festival on planet earth. Yay. I know. You have a lot of information. Is there any one place people can go to find this information? As well, it great question. <laughs> Smokybrights.com, S-M-O-K-E-Y-B-R-I-G-H-T-S.com has performance dates, uh, updates, videos, music, merch, all that stuff. Yeah. Yes, like and follow and all that stuff on the, the rest of the platforms. Yeah, all the socials. Instagram's the one we tend to use the most, uh, but really sign up for email lists if you want to. It's a it. very, it's a very uplifting follow. I follow and it always makes my day. <laughs> thanks, Larry. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on, and sure. uh, we'll be seeing you in uh, in March, or maybe yeah. sooner. Who knows? Yeah. 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 Let's kick Ooh. it March. <laughs> Turned off, we're done. Uh, so I guess I'll, I'll start with um, my backstage story started like probably many of the other performers here in front of the stage. My oldest sister, she dragged me, I was probably kicking and screaming, about 13 years old, to a little place in Tijuana, Mexico called Iguanas. I wanted to go see a band called Bad Religion. Everybody else was only going to see the opening band, who I had never heard of. They were called Nirvana. <laughs> Nirvana. I don't know. Some people have heard of them. I was in Seattle. <laughs> Anyways, I was, I was hooked from then. I was hooked. I would spend any time I could, any chance that me and my friends could get away, and it was mostly coming down here to Boise to come see shows. And most of those shows would be at this little hole in the wall, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's called the Crazy Horse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I, I, yeah tell me about it. Who knew it, right? Bands like Dead Kennedys, Fear, you name it, all the punk rock elite and more have played there. 
So you'd have a couple beers because you're 14 years old <laughs> and <laughs> go into the crazy horse. You never knew what was going to happen. You know, Mike from Agent Orange could end up in your hotel room at the Copacabana. <laughs> you could be tossing rocks at the skinheads that the fear kicked out and stopped the show for. Or, you know, um, like one time my uh, friend from Australia, I won't hold a night against him, Edward, he broke all the neon lights above the stage. And so we needed to get bandaged up. And the band was playing and the show was going on. They sent us upstairs. So I don't know if you guys know this. There's a whole apartment directly above the stage of the Crazy Horse. <laughs> and they're sitting around on a TV or watching TV. And I think it was Full House <laughs> while the show was going on downstairs. I was like, what, what is going on here? We're trying, to, we're trying to do a punk rock show. You guys are watching Full House. So that was kind of the first time that I saw, hey, there's, there's, there's just another something here. There's, there's something going on that makes these shows happen. <laughs> so fast, fast forward a little ways. Um, I came to the Reverend Horton Heat show at the Rose Room uh, down at the Union Block. And it was, it was amazing. And we weren't 21 yet, so we decided we should probably have some beers in the parking lot before we go out. Well, it turns out the bouncers from the stories there probably weren't the ones from your stories were not very good so everybody was drinking in there and the show got done and i started to see all these people scurrying around and trying to make the production happen i was like this is really cool and so i actually stayed left and there's very steep stairs in the rose room i fell down every one of them <laughs> i got to the bottom and this this lovely girl, these amazing blue eyes, reached down and picked me up. So as a 20-year-old boy, I did what a normal one would do. I got up and I ran down the street as fast as I could. <laughs> Gone. Uh, so that's kind of my introduction there where I just really kind of started seeing things happen. And then I moved to Boise a couple years later and uh, kind of got an interview. My friend set me up. He said, hey, I need a job. He's like, Come on down here, talk to these people. They're going to set you up. They're opening up this new club downtown. It's going to be great. They need somebody to cook. And uh, I was like, awesome. So the night before, I went to a punk rock show, The Misfits, at 6th and Main. Another hole in the wall, maybe, that you guys went to. Now it's China Blue, or I don't know what it is anymore. <laughs> Anyways, I got sucker punched. Not quite a UB40 show. It was at a Misfits show, and I, didn't even, I never even saw the guy. I don't even know... Where he came from, never found out. Had a huge black eye on my right eye. Went in for the interview. Decided I would just wear sunglasses because that would be better. I don't know why. And um, the lady interviewing me very nicely asked if I could take off sunglasses. And I said, I'm very sorry. Uh, I'm a little embarrassed, but I got punched at a, at a concert last night. And she's like, well, what concert were you at? I was like, well, I was at the Misfits. She's like, oh, well, we put that concert on. So, <laughs> I was interviewing for a job as a catering person for a production company. And so she paraded me around the office and said, look what happened to this young man at our concert last night. <laughs> and then pushed me out the door. So I was like, well, I, I don't know, maybe I got the job, maybe I didn't. <laughs> Anyways, I, uh, I got a phone call and three weeks later I got to start. Um, and mostly it was catering downtown at the Big Easy Concert House. So my first day I walked in 
and saw a gentleman playing piano with a big leather duster and a big brown hat. And I walked up to him because I didn't know where to go. And he stopped playing the piano and said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, it's my first day. And he said, well, good luck with that kid. And that was James Brown. <laughs> so, um, sorry, I collect myself. I wrote myself some notes, but they look like wingdings now. Um, Stefania spilled her drink on them when she came in. <laughs> um, from there, it was it was a lot of it was a lot of crazy times from having to. Uh, you know, redo a menu for LL Cool James in the last minute because nobody told me that he didn't eat pork. Um, trying to cook another meal for 40 minute, for 40 people for uh, George Clinton in the parliament because the first two people that came through of the entourage took all the food. <laughs> and half the furniture. <laughs> and half the furniture. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so <laughs> those were... Those are some of the stories. And then as a caterer, I was always busy. I was always busy, so we're going along and we're going. And sometimes I'd have to go to the store and work with other members of the production and and uh, try to go in there. And one time, I remember, we're being late, and I think it was a two-live crew show. And they were open up for Insane Clown Posse. And so I think they felt like they really needed to turn it up. And I was with the hospitality manager at the time, and I was like, hey, we got to get going. We got to get going. We're on a deadline. She was trying to grab bananas that were on her rider. And I said, could you hurry up? And she's like, well, you have to pick the perfect banana. You don't want one that's too ripe. And you don't want one that's completely hard. Okay, well, can we get going? So we got going. We went and did the catering. Everything turned out as a success. And as we always did afterwards, we would get done and we would go have a drink and watch the bands as they opened up. So we went out, we had a drink, two live crews on stage. They brought out some voluptuous ladies onto the stage and that's where the bananas ended up. So I turned to my friend and I said, aren't you glad you took that time to pick out those bananas? And it was at those point, I should have recognized those lovely blue eyes, but I still didn't. Thank you, guys. And now, Erica and the lovely blue eyes. for the last year. Thank you, COVID. <laughs> been doing a live stream, pretty much 100 shows with my buddy and co-producer back here, Justin, who's recording tonight. Thank you for everything you do, Justin. So, yes, I'm Mrs. Cornwall with the blue eyes. <laughs> that Two Life Crew story is one of the most embarrassing moments <laughs> of my career. <laughs> and I have 
an interesting story. I came from a background of hair bands and heavy metal. I, I did Slayer for my 30th birthday from one end of the continent to the other. That was my, that was my birthday present to myself. So when I started in, in this business here in Boise, it was September 10th, 1996. I was at my very, very first show outside of going to heavy metal bands. And it was Rage Against the Machine, Rage in the Cage. Mm. And the, the moment I felt the energy of that crowd and how people would just release everything they had from their trials to their errors, to their failures, to their joys, to their children being born, I knew that I wanted to be part of this community. And that was 25 years ago, this September 10th. 1996. So I was a student at Boise State University and I really, really wanted to be part of this. So I started working by cleaning the bathrooms at the pavilion. Some of you might know it as the Taco Bell Arena, now the Extra Mile. I wanted to learn how to hang lights, focus them, run a spotlight. Eventually I learned how to hang those motors by tying bowlines onto shackles and hang the motors from the air so that the PA the music that you listen to sings throughout. With that being said, I spent the last year of that semester just completely engrossed in nothing but learning how to do all these things. I'm sure my studies failed quite a bit. I might have taken a few incompletes, but a year later I got to work for Harry Connick Jr. I was living my perfect life. So, this is the first time I've rigged outside of the university system, and I am covered in grease from my elbows to my fingertips, probably on my legs. My hair is in a ponytail. I look a little bit like I do right now. And I turn, and he's standing next to me. <laughs> and I'm like, shit. Look up. No eye contact. He won't notice how bad I look. But I notice something in the sky, in that grid, doesn't look right. So I politely say, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but I need to go check on that something doesn't look right. Something wasn't. A year later, I get a phone call from Bravo Entertainment. They said, Harry Connick Jr. is playing at the CenturyLink Arena. He, I think it was actually the B of A at the time, he would like you to be his personal assistant. Oh, yeah. Awesome. What? I don't even own a car, let alone have a driver's <laughs> license, okay? I ride everywhere on a skateboard. So I tell her this, and she says, I'll call you back in five minutes. I get the call. He says, he doesn't care. He wants you. So I go to work on my skateboard, and I run errands throughout the downtown area. One of which being getting the best milkshake in town for him and his crew, Fancy Freeze. Yes. So now let's fast forward a little bit more. I am living a pretty good life. I'm still studying. It took me a long time to get through college. But I'm working at a club for Bravo Entertainment called the Big Easy Concert House. And I kind of do a few side gigs for them, 
working catering shows, and ended, I actually end up being appointed as the hospitality director. Instead of hanging lights and running motors and running spotlights, but occasionally the spotlight, occasionally hanging the light, occasionally running the soundboard, I get to correspond with the bands. I get to look at their writers and find out what they like, how to take care of them. I love this job. The crew I work with are one of the most amazing groups of human beings. They're angry chefs, but they're kind to me. And I can't wait every day to go and talk to them. I'm on the phone telling them this writer says this, I'm doing everything that is needed in this job. So I have to take these guys through a area in the Big Easy Concert House, which is now the Knitting Factory, which I haven't been there since it's been the Knitting Factory, so I don't know if this still exists. But if you've ever seen the movie Spinal Tap, you have to basically walk through all these back rooms and <laughs> go through hallways and everything to get your talent to their green room. And then my location, the hospitality room, which is the very back of the building in this area that looks like Fight Club. <laughs> like, literally. There's cages around, and I have to make this look like a comfortable place to eat. So my friend Steve Schneer, he was a pro skateboarder, he's working the days with me. He's building me things to make this look better, and occasionally building me skate ramps so that we can drop in off the stage. <laughs> we shove them underneath the stage and tell everybody, we use them for ramps. Not one case ever went on those ramps. He's really excited. There is a speaker, a spoken word coming. His name is Henry Rollins. The guys in the kitchen are extremely excited. I'm like, well, I guess I better take care of this guy. Plus, he's a another skateboarder. I can't wait to hear more skateboarding stories because that's my jam. I go to the airport and I pick him up. Really nice gentleman. Eats very healthy. We take him back in a truck. I have borrowed from a friend that has a bench seat. It's a manual transmission. It's not the prettiest thing. It's a Dodge Dakota 1991. I love it. It's got a great stereo system. We're listening to music. So we get to the Big Easy, and I introduce him to Steve. And they're talking, and they're sharing all these stories. And I am a kid on Christmas morning. Everything I've ever dreamed of is right in front of me. Stories about Danny Way about all the greats. Bob Bernquist is not there yet, but I'm like, he's my favorite skateboarder. And they like pat me on the back and they're, they're sweet. He does a sound check. Well, Henry doesn't like being backstage. He doesn't like the whole thing about being recognized as anyone other than Henry. So he says to me, what would you be doing if it was your day off? Well, my son likes to read, so we go to Barnes & Noble. Let's go to Barnes & Noble. So I take Henry to Barnes & Noble in the Dodge Dakota, bench seat, manual transmission, trying not to miss any gears. <laughs> I don't know who he is. I only know he's a skateboarder or knows a lot of them. I'm a, I like heavy metal music. Slayer is my jam at this point. Maybe Poison 
okay? Because I get to wear cool costume when I'm going with my friends and wearing spandex, a little bit of Motley Crue. This is not the people that I have grown up listening to. So we get to Barnes and Noble and he goes shopping and I go over to the normal spot that I usually sit while my son is usually picking out a book and I pick up the punk anthology. It's this giant book. And the reason I'm reading this book, as I tell Henry when he asks, why are you reading that book? Is because the boys in the kitchen really like punk music. And I feel like I never have an opportunity to contribute to the conversation. So this book that is two paychecks of mine has been thoroughly read, well, halfway read, because I had not yet got to his chapter. Well, he looks at me and he says, let's go get coffee. Barnes & Noble didn't have a coffee shop yet. Barnes & Noble was still just a bookstore. So I said, okay, and I drive him down the street to the IHOP. Well, we're, we're sitting in those booths, drinking coffee, and he says, do you see that couple over there? And I turn around. I said, yeah. He says, they're not the most attractive people in the world, are they? I think that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> he says, but look at the way they're looking at each other. To them, they are the most attractive people in the world. I think, shit, is this guy hitting on me? <laughs> so I politely tell him, I have other things that I need to be doing at work. I really need to get back to work. So we go back to the club. He does his show. He goes up on stage and he says, so Boise's great. This hot blonde picks me up from the airport and says, dude, I'm your ride. I don't know about that. And I am livid. I did not say that. The boys in the kitchen have come out. They're watching as we do when we're doing the show. We don't have to work. We get to actually watch. Usually, I'm running down the street to get whatever needs to be fulfilled on their rider before they go home. And they're laughing at me because I'm like, dude, I didn't say that. Probably did, didn't I? <laughs> he finishes the set with the saddest story. His girlfriend had been hit in a car accident and died the week before. My heart sank. I had just got angry. I had accused in my mind this man was hitting on me and all he was doing was being a friend. So he came off of the stage and I kind of kept my head low. I just wanted to, do you need anything? I Can I go to the store? He's like, no, I'm just ready to go back to my hotel. And we're driving down Vista Avenue and he says, can you pull over at that 7-Eleven? And I'm like, okay. So I pull over at the 7-Eleven, he goes inside and I'm feeling even lower because that's my job, is to take care of him, to make sure that he has everything that he needs. He gets in the car, and we go up to the top of the hill, and I pull up in front of the hotel, and I said, it was really nice to meet you, I'm really sorry for your loss. And he turns to me and he says, promise me something. When you finish tonight, you will go and tell that boy in the kitchen how you feel about him. <laughs> I said, we're only friends, you know, that's, we're just friends. 
He smiles and then he says, can I get your AOL instant messenger and email account? <laughs> so I get back to the Big Easy and I clock out. I grab my skateboard and I go over to the Little Easy, AKA the Cactus Bar. <laughs> this is where we'd always meet after a show. And I walk in the door and everybody's sitting at the table, the big round one at the end of the bar where we always sit. And there's this beautiful, kind, friend of mine sitting on Cody's lap. I missed my chance and Henry was right. I felt it. The whole world just sink. I'm not really sure if I stayed, but I think I left. A week later, I show up at work. As I walk in the kitchen, the entire staff, Cody and the angry chefs, are standing there. They are so excited to see me. Like, what is going on? Then I realize there's a box sitting on the prep table in the middle of the kitchen, square. On top, it reads a label. To Erica Deschner, care of the Big Easy Concert House from Henry Rollins. <laughs> we open it. Inside is this letter and a stack of burned CDs handwritten from the Buzzcocks, the X-Ray Specs, Generation X, and the Aardvarts. <laughs> and he tells me in this letter why they are important to punk music. There's a whole lot more to our story, but Cody and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary last month. <laughs> Well, that was a fantastic first episode of our second season playlist, Stories from the World of Music. Uh, do you feel like you learned anything? Should you decide to, you know, pursue a uh, mate who is in the same field as you? Just um, find one as cool as uh, as Kim West or Ryan Devlin. I don't know who is, seems well-balanced. I don't know if I'm well-balanced enough to find a well-balanced mate. Um, but I, I think we can, work on that down the road on uh, many fronts but it was really great man and also yeah erica and cody so good and just so yeah. sweet and both of them you know it's really cool to have done this interview with the smoky brights but then also have witnessed in person the cody um and erica. And erica just sort of so just very much in love with each other so it was just very cool to see that kind of love make you did it make you uh, think of Henry Rollins differently? Because it made me think of him. <laughs> I was never you know, a big fan, but you know, maybe Henry's a good guy. He, well, he seemed, I mean, you heard Erica's story. He treated yes. her really well, so. Um, yes, good you for know, you. <laughs> despite the neck. Despite the no shoes and the whole thing. And yeah. He just sold his house in Los Angeles for a lot of money, so good for you, Henry. All right, well. That wraps it up, right? Yeah, for this first episode. And what we want to say is thank you, Brett Battistain and Jared Bostrom, two of my favorite last names to say out loud. Yeah, and <laughs> that Brett's our editor, producer. He kind of heads up the eavesdrop, E-A-S-E-drop.com um, podcast network. And Jared Bostrom does our editing and are both very awesome folks. And uh, where else can you find story forward information, Ray? 
Well, you can find Story Forward information on our Facebook group page. That's easy to find. Uh, you can find us on the Twitter. Yes, we finally reached the 21st century. You can come yell at us and do whatever on the Twitter uh, at Story Forward and on the Instagram where we will post lovely images to accompany our episodes about that i know and larry's promising to do some tiktok videos soon here too (laughs) probably not i think i'm above the maximum age requirement for that um that is it for us for this episode pretty happy with our kickoff for the season thank you for listening uh is there anyone we're forgetting I mean, the whole crew of the Story Forward, which is the crew of Story Fort, basically. Um, great stuff um, from McKinsey and Joe and Noor and Ryan. And we already mentioned Jared. But um, yeah, they're awesome. And uh, just all you for listening and spread the word. They give us fine remarks if you liked what Larry had to say. If I said something offensive, I'm sorry. Don't right. We'll cut it out next time. Uh, yeah. Like us. Uh, give us a five star review. Uh, and you know, if you have a chance and you're near Boise, Idaho in late March, come on up to Storyport. Do the, the 23rd through the 27th, 2022. Yes. If the world has not ended. Ugh. For real or pretend. Okay. Uh, until then, let's keep that story moving forward.